We're thanking God for His discipline today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You What child really appreciates the discipline their parents give them at the time it's delivered? Very few, if any. But later on down the road, when we become adults, we see things a little differently, don't we? And maybe we thank our folks for the discipline they brought our way when we needed it. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll develop an attitude of gratitude for God's discipline. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. The message today is a challenging one. And I've entitled today's message, Thank God for His Discipline. Thank God for his discipline. So here we are in chapter 12 of Hebrews. Paul, I believe the author, is winding down his letter, and he's winding it down with these little encouragements, little exhortations, and instructions. And of course, in the book of Hebrews, there's that overall instruction to not go backwards, to remember the big picture of the sufficiency of Jesus in all things, But there's also the practical part of how do I do that exactly? And you know, that's the role of a leader, whether he or she is a spiritual leader or a leader in the home or a leader at work or just even taking the lead spiritually in our community. One of the roles of a spiritual leader is to define reality for people. Sometimes there are those opportunities to miss out and miss out on the reality that's before you, and you need somebody to come along and tell you the the truth and reveal to you the truth. This is the responsibility I have as a pastor, and it's not always easy. It's not always easy to step into your life and remind you of the reality that exists in the spiritual realm. A pastor, a parent, a mentor, a friend needs to speak the truth in love, and we would do well to receive it. That's what we see here at the end of chapter 12. Paul's giving us the truth in love. Pick up with me by way of reference in verse 1 in chapter 12 of Hebrews. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We've looked at this in depth in the previous studies where we're in a race together. We're not competing against each other. We're running with each other. And the whole goal is to finish and to finish well. Not only to finish, finish well, but also finish taking as many people as possible with us in this race of life, this spiritual race. And then he adds to it. He says, look, when you're running the race, here's the key. You need to look unto Jesus, keeping your eyes firmly fixed on him. And last time we together, we learned eight different ways that we're to look unto Jesus, eight ways to run our race well. And now we add to that list, notice in verse three, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, 
lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Now, if you like to write in your Bible, circle the word consider. You probably have looking in verse 2 already circled. And you can draw a line between those two, connecting them. It says, not only do you look to him, but also you need to consider him. This word consider means to consider accurately. You know how pain and difficulty has a way of disrupting your equilibrium. So you've got to make a concerted effort in the midst of difficulty, running this race, wanting to quit, wanting to go backwards, to consider him again, again, and again. As you're running, as you're looking, as you're in this race, it's important that you consider and remember Jesus over and over. Why? Because the race gets hard and tiring, and we get weary and discouraged. We not only get weary and discouraged in the physical realm, don't miss this, what it says there in the text, that you become weary and discouraged where? In your soul. It's a much deeper thing. You know, we get weary and discouraged in our minds in the physical realm, and that sort of separates us from each other. You know, you work a 16-hour day, you come home, you're tired, you don't really want to talk to anybody, you go right upstairs, you go right into the room, and you, you plop down and you fall asleep. Weariness and discouragement separates us from each other. But when weariness and discouragement hits the soul, then you begin to separate from God. You find yourself pulling away, maybe even becoming mad at Him and upset with Him. Remember, Jesus, He promised... He promised a rest for the soul. He goes deep down into who you are spiritually. So you can get tired and weary there, but you can also receive the rest there. So here's the thing. As you're running, you need to remember Jesus. What do you remember? First of all, you remember his endurance. That he too, you know, we've been looking at that word over and over again. Hupomone, hupomone. You look at it, that need to endure. You have need for endurance. And you go, oh, I can't take it anymore. I can't endure. I'm ready to give up. Well, consider the endurance of Jesus. In his humanity, he also endured. What did he endure? It says here, hostility from sinners. That's part of the difficulty. We live in a sin-soaked world where the God of this age is anti-Christ, anti-believer. Everything about this culture is trying to rip you away from God. And so you have this hostility from sinners. Jesus endured the same hostility, or even more so. He says, I want you to remember him. And don't we often remember him in communion? That was the instruction that Jesus came, gave. As often as you do this, do this what? in remembrance of me. Remember him and what he faced. He endured and he made it so that you don't become weary and discouraged, that you know you'll finish well. When you're tired, when you're weary, when you're ready to give it all up, when it's become too hard, consider Jesus. Because weariness comes to us all. We all become weary and tired because life is very difficult. There, it requires effort in your relationship with God. Think about all the things that require effort in your life. It requires effort to follow the Lord. It requires effort to deny yourself. It requires effort to resist temptation. It requires effort to steady on. Everything in life requires effort. In marriage, it requires effort. In singleness, it requires. Stay pure. Everything in life requires a sense of effort. 
and effort as you continue to put out, as you continue to press on, it's easy to get tired and even weary, especially when things get harder and more challenging. You're like, forget it. I don't want to move on. And then when you're resisting temptation, that's hard. When people are criticizing you, that's hard. When there's gossip and things surround, that's hard. Then there's the trials of life. Then there's the difficulties of life. Then it's overwhelming things in life. And to resist or to, to put a guard up against weariness and discouragement, we need to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to consider him and his endurance. This word weariness is the same word that's translated sick in James chapter 5, verse 15. Weariness can make you sick, man. It can take you out. James 5, 15 says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Same word. Revelation chapter 2, verse 3, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. We live in a culture where discipline and challenging situations and hardship are not valued. It's just give in and do whatever you want and don't worry about it. But when it comes to the things of the Lord, he says, no, stand fast. Stand fast in your faith, abiding in Christ, drawing from him the resources and energy that you need to get through the day. God gives both the power and the desire or the desire and the power and energy to fulfill his will. And as we do get tired and discouraged, we're reminded in Galatians 6 verse 9, there's a different kind of discouragement and weariness. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not grow weary while doing good. Doing good can weary you in a world that does bad. He says, for in due season, we'll reap if we don't lose heart. That's a little different word that's used here in Galatians than the one that's used in Hebrews. It means to lose courage. So not only can you be discouraged and weary in your soul, but even doing good and loving and caring in a very dark world can make you lose courage and just to faint and give up. He says, no, consider him. Why? Verse 4, you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You, you haven't come to the end yet. You're still alive. And because you're alive, God wants to use you. Yeah, you're going to resist, but it's going to be, for some, it's going to be all the way to bloodshed, but you're not there yet. You, you haven't been nailed to a cross. So steady on and look to Jesus, consider him, let him encourage you and strengthen you. But here's the root of the problem, really. It's found in verse 5. The root of the problem of this deep discouragement and weariness is here, verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you're without chastening, of which we have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. And here's a big issue among us, church. We have forgotten that God disciplines us. That God disciplines us. That's what the word chasten means. We don't use that word very often. Instead, think of it of training or discipline. Think of it in the, in the realm of God entering into your life to bring about correction through pain. And he uses the word, notice, chastening, rebuked, 
scourge. These are heavy words. God will literally bring about pain in your life and mine to get us on the right course. And he uses this familiar picture of a parent. Every parent can understand the discipline of their children. Every parent understands that. And if you don't have children right now, you were a kid one time, you understand discipline. You understand what it means to do something wrong and receive the consequence from it. You understand that there were times when your parents needed to get involved in your life and bring about discipline to get you back on track. And this is a great problem in the church. We have forgotten that God will discipline us. You know, God disciplines countries for turning their back on Him. God disciplines homes and families. God disciplines men and women. And God disciplines children when they turn their back upon Him. Listen, God will not let His kids get away with anything. He will not wink at any sin and just ignore it. Even when it seems like everyone else can get away with it, if you are a son or daughter of God, you will not get away with sin in your life. God will bring about the necessary discipline on top of the difficulties, on top of the effort, on top of the warfare, on top of the difficult culture, all of that. On top of all that, God will still bring about the discipline that's needed for you and I to be conformed into the image of Christ. And here's the issue with the Hebrews. It may be an issue with you. All of the issues in your life have clouded your vision of remembering that God loves you and discipline is a part of his love. That's what he says in verse 6. Whoever God loves, whoever Jehovah loves, he disciplines. He disciplines them. Sometimes you think of God's discipline of his disapproval of you, but no, he approves of you. He doesn't approve of the sin in your life. He loves you. And not all hard times come as a direct result of your sinful choices. That's a false concept of God. Hard times come to us all. And sometimes God will even send us into a storm, allow a horrendous trial to enter our lives in order to discipline and train us to follow Him. And so He tells these Jewish believers here in Hebrews, don't interpret all the difficulties in your life as if God doesn't approve of you. This is earth, it's hard. Even Jesus endured hostility from sinners nailed to a cross. The choices that you made to follow Jesus have brought you in line with pains and problems that he faced. You're following in pain and difficulty. You're following in the footsteps of Jesus. And here's a problem, a challenging problem. It's easy in difficult times to sit around and start feeling sorry for yourself. Well, woe is me. It's so hard. I'm the only one that's suffering. It's not worth it. Following Jesus have made things worse. Hey, if you're in a position right now that life is so hard that you've fallen into this funk of, hey, sitting around feeling sorry for yourself, you need to be careful because everything you hear while you're feeling sorry for yourself is a lie. It turns your heart against God. It makes you the center of the world and the situation. And God wants you to look up, not look in. He wants you to look up. He wants you to gain the right perspective that God is working all things together for the good for those that love Him. Sometimes the difficulties in your life are just simply the chastening, disciplining hand of God. He brings discipline into your life and mind to train us and teach us, even though that can be very, very painful. This word discipline speaks of training of a child. Sometimes the training comes as a consequence of our own bad behavior. 
Other times it's a discipline to keep us from far worse. Sometimes it's simply to develop us and make us better in serving him. Whatever it is, whatever the reason, when it comes, the Bible says, don't despise it. Don't despise the chastening of God. Embrace it. Why? Because it reminds you that you're loved. Notice verse 7. If you endure chastening, then you know God's dealing with you like a son. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? Verse 8. But if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me just say at the outset here, that I know this can be a very hard comparison for some of you listening in. For many of you, because you didn't have the best dad growing up or the best example of a father. You may have been abused or misused or neglected or severely wounded and the idea of a father and a father's discipline really messes with your head and messes with your emotions. So to think of God as a father, it just doesn't, you just can't, put the pieces together because you haven't had the right example. If that's you, let me just say I'm sorry that you've had to endure that kind of difficulty in your life. I mean, even those that may have had the best dad still had an imperfect dad. But some of you, you experienced the worst of the worst, and we're sorry for that. Because God never intended for this important role to be so twisted for you. I'm sorry that your dad misrepresented a very important role in your life and mine. So important that God uses it as a picture of our relationship with him. So our real example is not our human dad, but our heavenly father. Not our human dad, although as it says here, even our human dads tried to chasten us. They did it what, they, what was best for them. What, what they felt was best for the family. I understand that. As a dad myself, having raised my children now into adult, I think my oldest would be 34 this year, and I have other kids that are in their 20s. I get it now as I see that chastening. And a lot of times when I would bring discipline into my kid's life, I would have the right reason, but I would do it wrong. I would have a selfish motive perhaps, or I'd be upset or angry or aggravated. When the goal was to train my kid, but oftentimes that would come from a place, a position like it says here, what I thought was best. But see, our Father in heaven, he does for our profit. Not what he, not, not what as a dad, like what I think best is for the family. No, when God disciplines us, it's so that we might partake of holiness. We might be more usable. What Paul is saying here is that your perfect example is found in God. And he's disciplining you because he loves you. And that's truly the motive of parents. Our desire is because we love our kids. We want them to grow up to love God. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he won't depart from it. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. 
The primary source of training in a child's life comes from parents that love their children. And it's evidence that you are their mom and dad. Like, like I don't have permission to discipline your kids. You would not be very happy. Now, some of you said, oh, no, Ed, please do. No, I'm not going to take that. I don't have, they're not my kids. Now, I would influence them, come alongside of them, point them to the Lord, but they're your kids. So anything I do in their life is secondary to the role that you have. I'll speak the truth in love to your kids, and I'll help them get on track for sure. But it's your prime. You are not responsible to raise my kids. I'm responsible to raise my children. And if you go through life and your parents let you get away with anything, because that is, you know, a philosophy of parenting in our world today. Ah, just let them do whatever. Let them find their own way. No. Parents were put in children's life to train them in the right way and show them the wrong way. There is a right way and there is a wrong way to live life. God has revealed it in His Word. And even though the world will throw their kids away, we will not. And not only that, we will step in and minister to the kids that their parents have just turned on them. And we'll help and we'll serve. You know, if you don't, you don't receive discipline from your parents, they're not demonstrating love to you. They're not, that, that makes sense. It just makes common sense. It's just so logical. When your kids start playing with fire or want to run on E-470 and play tag, any good parent would say, no, with great force. I won't let you do it. You'll even chase after them. You don't just let your kids play with snakes at the, at the Denver Zoo, you know. Oh, go ahead, climb the fence. Tell me how the lion is doing. And that's what Daniel did. No. No, the Lord has put you in their lives to train them. Another philosophy of parenting today is this sense of, well, you know, I don't really want to discipline my kids. What my kids need is a friend. So I'm going to be my kids' friends. They do not need you as their friends until you parent them. That's the right order. You are the only parents they have. They can have a thousand kids on the block, but they need you to parent them. You parent them first, and then very naturally over time, you begin to befriend them and the relationship changes. But you can't just abandon your parenting. God put you in their lives to lead, train, develop, and even discipline your children. Notice verse 10. It's, this phrase just jumped off the page as I consider my own parenting. In verse 10 it says, For they, speaking of human parents, indeed for a few days chastened us. You might want to mark that, a few days. You know why? Because it speaks of a short amount of time. It's not even a week he's using, just a few days. He's saying the time that you have to discipline your kids is a short amount of time. It's just a few days. And I'm telling you, kids grow up fast. You blink your eye and before you know it, they're out of the house, they're married with kids, and they're moving on. It happens just like that. And in that short amount of time you have influence in them, you need to train them in the ways of the Lord. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay. Or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. We're so encouraged as we hear from people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We're so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. We really want to hear from you. 
And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can serve to help you win the battle of your mind. If you struggle with unhealthy thoughts or emotions, this is a must-read. In Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, author Louis Giglio draws from Psalm 24, and he offers insight on how to cancel the lies that will wreck your life. You'll learn to stop the spiral of shame, temptation, and insecurity, and restore peace and rest in your life. Again, that's Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, our featured resource right now at Abounding Grace. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also make a request online at calvaryco.store. And thank you for your generous support. Is your donation that allows us to bring the teaching of God's Word to this community and many others around the nation. To make a donation, visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Celebrating 20 years of God's faithfulness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of Hebrews. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.